0: We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. If you missed last week's message, um, I want to uh, say in the strongest manner possible. I would like you to listen to that. Um, I, I think personally that last week's message was the most important teaching I've done ever. Uh, and I, and I actually believe that if we see what scripture says, and if we actually recognize that the the theme that God gives us from Genesis to Revelation think it will require life change for anyone in however you're living. Um, so <clears throat> if if I could ask people to do one thing, I would say, listen, listen to that, not because I preached it, but because I believe it really is informative of who we are, how, where we are, um, and what we should be about. And so if you haven't heard it from last week, um, that will give context to today in the next couple weeks. Um, You won't be totally lost today if you haven't heard it, but it will make more sense today the the, uh, filter that that we are looking at uh, Scripture through. There are two, I think that there are two primary frameworks presented in Scripture that give us a picture of God and us, and that is the vision of a kingdom and a vision of a marriage. And uh, I, I think the one that that we that most resonates with us is the image of a marriage, that Jesus is a betrothed king and will soon be with his bride. And that is started in Genesis chapter one and it, Uh, concludes in Revelation, at the end of Revelation. Um, I want to read a passage. So thinking about our story and God's story, the story God has invited us into, the pursuit he makes of us, I want to read a passage that's probably pretty familiar to you, but I'm reading it under the lens of understanding this marriage this consistent marriage theme that runs through scripture. And uh, last week talked a little bit about the Jewish wedding and marriage and how that works in the different stages and the stage where in John chapter 14, starting in verse one, Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. So understanding what Jesus is saying in the words he's using, who is Jesus identifying himself to be in this text? The bridegroom. Because during the betrothal where the bridegroom and bride are legally married... The bridegroom goes away and does not live with the bride and prepares a place where he will come and take her to himself to that place. Do you see that? So Jesus is identifying himself as the bridegroom. Who is he identifying the disciples as? The bride. And, and, and that's, that's not reading into the text, <laughs> That is seeing exactly what Jesus is saying. He's identifying himself as the bridegroom. He's identifying the disciples and his followers as the bride. And what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want looking at what he says here? Jesus wants intimacy with his bride. He says, I go to prepare a place And I will take you there to be with me. I will take you to myself, is what he says. And so Jesus' bridegroom activity right now, as we are here in this room, is he is preparing a place for us, his bride, to live with him forever. Jesus says uh, a few verses later to his disciples in John 14 verse 15, he says, if you love me, and again, we've got to recognize the context of what he's saying. He's not saying if you love me to someone random or a follower or a disciple or an interested person. If you love me is being said to what? His bride if you love me, it's not just to a friend, it's to his bride. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So what we are, As the bride, our identity, what are we to be about? We are to be about preparing for Christ's return and being purified to be presented to him spotless, the church in splendor. Now, here's the thing. How can we possibly prepare ourselves and purify ourselves successfully. (laughs) Like, I don't know about you, but I am not great at preparing for anything. Like even every night, Sherry and I go for a walk, take the dog, and like literally last night, she said, do you want to take the dog for a walk? I'm like, yep, I'm ready. So she walks in, she's ready, and I'm on the couch and my iPad. She goes, you don't have shoes on. You don't look like you're ready. I was ready, maybe, but I wasn't. Like, I can't even prepare to go for a walk that well without getting distracted and being off course. How on, like, have you met me? Do you think I can be ready and purified for Jesus when he returns? Uh, I mean, I met some of you and I, and I, I don't have high hopes. Um, I did, Not super confident. <laughs> uh, and so Jesus recognizes that. We are not capable of preparing ourselves for Christ and to be presented pure to the the bridegroom. And so what Jesus says is, I have given you a helper, an attendant, someone who's going to do the work of preparing you and purifying you for that day. So we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to purify and prepare us for Jesus. I also, I love how, I mean, this, this, this whole marriage metaphor is so strong in scripture. We just sung about our beliefs and we sang about the Father, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting how, how the Trinity presents itself within this marriage metaphor in scripture? God, the Father reveals the day and the hour of the wedding. Jesus even says, no one but the Father knows the day or the hour. So the Father, God the Father, gives that go day. Jesus the Son, the, the, the bridegroom, he's the one who leads the processional when the Father says, today's the day. The Holy Spirit is then during that whole time working to prepare and purify us so that when the Father says today, and Jesus leads the processional, we are ready to be presented to Jesus worthy. And that's not just having received salvation, but that is being prepared and purified for him. And, and so we see the Trinity and in, in, in them, in, in the, the Trinity's roles within this marriage. So in, in this passage where, where Jesus references this helper, in some translations, uh it's translated advocate. In some translations, it's translated counselor, others, comforter. Um, all There's all kinds of different words used for that. The Greek term is the word paraclete, and it's difficult because it has a very broad spectrum of meanings and consequences. It is not a word that is easily contained in one English word. Term or really, I don't know. I don't know about any language. I don't know that there's a great word to contain this. The basic meaning of paraclete is one called to another's side for help, one who is purposely called to another person's side to help them. But that doesn't even even just kind of throwing that out doesn't help a ton because it it can go to the place it, in verb form. It is to strongly urge. To appeal to, exhort, encourage, make a strong request, implore, entreat, comfort, encourage, cheer up, be a friend to, speak in a friendly manner. We have no single word or phrase that adequately encompasses what Jesus describes that the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, and what he will do as helper. But I think we can break it down into three big words and understandings. And again, this is not exhaustive or all-encompassing, but I believe that this is helpful to understand what the Holy Spirit is doing in us right now as we are in this betrothal period and as we live our lives being prepared and purified for Christ. And I think these three, these three things, and we'll, we'll unpack one today in the next couple weeks, but the three are is this. First uh, is that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. And that has everything to do with truth. He advocates truth in our lives and for our lives. The second thing that that is comes out of this word that Jesus describes as the helper is counselor. Holy Spirit is a counselor which has to do with obedience. He counsels us towards obedience. And then the third thing is that he is the comforter, which has to do with bringing peace in our lives. So Jesus says in John chapter 16, starting in verse 13, So Jesus furthermore gives this greater definition to the Holy Spirit in his role. He says, I'll send a helper. And then he says, the spirit of truth and he will guide you into all the truth. What truth does the Holy Spirit guide us into? Well, first of all, he guides us into truth about God the Father. He advocates for truth about God as Father. There's a lot of, false belief about God. The Holy Spirit guides us to truth and advocates for truth about God and defends against lies about God in our lives. The Holy Spirit also leads us to the truth about Jesus. You know, uh, in the the passage in John 14, where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, um, Jesus says, "And, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we, we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, you do know him and have seen him. And so the Holy Spirit works in that context and reveals and advocates for truth about Jesus, that Jesus is the one path and the one way and only way to salvation, to the Father. And so the Holy Spirit works in that part and advocates for the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth about ourselves. How many of you in this room believe that you only believe truth about yourself? Anyone? Anyone? I don't think there is a human being alive who actually only believes truth about themselves. We believe a lot of things that are untrue, that are absolute lies, that, uh, we, and, and it goes both ways. It goes with we believe good things about ourselves that aren't true. We believe bad things about ourselves that aren't true. And, and, and so the Holy Spirit is the one who inside of us leads us to truth about ourselves because we have a really hard time seeing that truth. We, we live much of our lives believing lies about ourselves, even though we're pretty sure they're not true, but we still abide by those things. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth about ourselves. And finally, I think part of the, the truth that the Holy Spirit guides us into is truth about reality, truth about culture, truth about the world around us, the truth about how we should process and discern the goings-on, how we should live, what we should do with the time we've been given, how we should navigate relationships, how we deal with finances. Jesus says in John 16, verse 8, he says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You see when the world convinces us that it is in control the Holy Spirit says actually that's not true and I'm going to advocate for the truth that the world is already judged and it is now, just a matter of time before Jesus reveals his kingdom and brings his bride to himself. So so the Holy Spirit leads us into that truth. Why would we need an advocate? Why is one of the most significant main roles, why is one of the, the main roles of the Holy Spirit to be an advocate for us? Well, First of all, the devil in scripture has a few descriptions. One of them is he is labeled as the accuser. Revelation 12.10 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God? If, there is an, if you have an accuser, you need an advocate. <laughs> if there is someone accusing you of someone something, you need an advocate. And so the Holy Spirit is an advocate on behalf of God's people, his bride, against the accusations of the devil. Also, he's called a liar. In John chapter 8, verse 40, 44, it says, you, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, who have come up to him and said all of these things. Jesus, They think that they're following God, but Jesus knows that they're not and that they are very much believing a lot of lies about themselves, about reality, about God. And so Jesus says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. If there are lies that are given to you or told about you, you need an advocate to lead in truth. And and so why, why why does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is an advocate? Because there is an accuser and a liar constantly at work about you. About me, about the bride of Christ. You see, an advocate comes alongside and is present to repel and to bring truth to light the accusations and lies that are said. Now, what's interesting is in Scripture, Jesus is also called an advocate. So, the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son are given titles of advocates. But here's the interesting thing they advocate in very different ways on our behalf. They have different functions in their advocating for us. And here's the difference Jesus makes intercession or advocates for the bride in front of God. I don't know if you've ever paused on this verse in Hebrews chapter 7. Chances are, maybe you haven't sat and let it sink in because I don't know that I had. But Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, I want you to hear what the author writes. He's talking about Jesus as the ultimate high priest, and he says this, he says, consequently, because of Jesus as our advocate, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Listen to this. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. I want to camp on that for just a second. Have you ever used the phrase, I live for fill in the blank? Have you ever used that phrase? What does that phrase mean when we use it in our culture? It means I live for, that is the most important thing in Like that is the most, I'm willing to sacrifice all kinds of things because I live for this. I make decisions that allow me to do this. I... I sacrifice things. I spend money. I am willing to make hard decisions because I live for this, right? That's what that statement means. Jesus lives to make intercession for you. That is no small thing. Hey, Jesus, what do you live for? I live to make intercession for you. I will sacrifice everything else to make intercession for you. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I live to make intercession for you. And not only does he say that, but he lives it out because Jesus literally lived his life, died as an advocate for us and the father placed all the wrath and sin of all people for all time on Jesus. And Jesus took that because he lives to make intercession for us. And so now Jesus is our advocate. And that's why scripture says, we have the righteousness of Christ when we have come to him for salvation. And now we bear his righteousness. And he, that is the way he advocates for us. And he lives to give intercession for us. The Holy Spirit's advocating is different than that because the Holy Spirit does not advocate on our behalf for God because, because that's not his role. While Jesus makes intercession for the bride, the Holy Spirit makes intercession or advocates in the bride. Jesus says this in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. See, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is, Jesus is preparing a place for the bride. The Holy Spirit is present in our lives, in us, advocating, interceding for us. And how? what is he doing? He's doing two things at least here that Jesus reveals. He will speak in us about Jesus. He will bear witness of Jesus. And then the other thing that he does is he will enable us to bear witness about Jesus. He will prepare us and purify us. And so we will be able to, with the Holy Spirit's power and authority and help, we will be able to know the truth about who Jesus is and we will be able to bear witness of that truth about Jesus to others. See, Jesus has taken, as advocate, has taken care of our sins and our salvation while the Spirit is currently taking care of our purification and our preparation. So the Spirit is at work in us now. And so how does the Spirit advocate? How does he work in our lives today to purify us and prepare us for Christ? Well, first of all, he, and again, this isn't exhaustive, but he advocates truth about me. He advocates for truth about you, to you. He defends me from my own wrong ways of thinking and processing. See, here's the thing. You and I, I don't care how long you've lived. I don't care how smart you are. Care what your education is, you think wrongly about a bunch of things. <laughs> and you don't even know that. And so the Spirit, he advocates for truth about you and defends you from your way of faulty thinking. And that's 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 a tall order because <laughs> I can think, very passionately, wrongly about a lot of things. (laughs) But the spirit, the spirit of truth, advocates for the truth about me and how to think like Jesus. Jesus says, Paul says, have the mind of Christ in you. How do you get the mind of Christ in you? You have to surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit who advocates for the mind of Christ in you and, and gets rid of your own mind so that you're not thinking wrong. The Holy Spirit advocates truth about the enemy. He defends me from the enemy's insinuations and accusations. Here's a thing that I don't, I don't know how, but, and, and maybe you'll be able to identify with this. At some point in my life, my flesh and the enemy have made an agreement to work together to get me to think wrong things, lies, and do things that I, I believe are good but are not good. Anybody else? Has your flesh and the enemy made that agreement, that arrangement? Because somehow they work really, really well together. It is a powerful, powerful combination of my flesh and the enemy when they are in cahoots. And that's where the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to advocate, to defend me against the combination of my flesh and the enemy, the insinuations and the accusations. See, again, we believe things that aren't true about us, because we are being convinced of that by our flesh and the enemy, and the Holy Spirit tells us something different. That's why we need the Holy Spirit as advocate. That's why when we don't engage the Holy Spirit in our lives, we fail constantly. And then he advocates truth about sin. How I plead in my behaviors. When when, when I'm doing something, the Holy Spirit advocates for truth about sin, and he convicts convicts and convinces me that what I did was wrong and sin, and how I plead. I plead guilty. Yet Jesus took that. And so it's like that moment where the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son, they're advocating for me, works in tandem. (laughs) The Holy Spirit advocates what is and what is not sin. You see, we don't get to define what is and isn't sin and We don't get to choose what sin is more important and what is less important. When when I can dismiss what the Bible teaches about something that feels less consequential than something that feels really consequential, when I can dismiss that and say, well, I mean, it's not a big deal, That means I am not surrendered nor filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment because I am not listening to my advocate saying, This is most definitely sin, and you don't get to live that way. And so the Holy Spirit's role as an advocate is a defender. He defends me from myself, he defends me from the enemy. And he defends me from sin. And here's what I think is interesting. Self-defense as a child of God is not a primary posture. But looking at so many of us in the church, you would assume that self-defense is a primary posture. See, our defense literally the name of the Holy Spirit <laughs> that, is, that is part of the word that Jesus described him as, literally the name means defense. Our defense is the Holy Spirit's responsibility and we need to le- listen and obey his leading in our life. I can't help but think that we spend way too much time defending ourselves against others, against our culture. And with all that time we spend defending ourselves, we spend way too little time adv- advancing the mission of God and trusting the Spirit to be our advocate, our defender. I don't know that self-defense is a position that a person who is born into God's family should even think about at all. I mean, maybe very often, if ever. Because the Holy Spirit is our advocate and our defender. Charles Spurgeon, years and years and years ago, was talking on this exact thing. And this is what he said. He, I think he noticed the same thing. He said, now the spirit of God, if we would but trust him and give up all the idolatry of human learning, cleverness, genius, eloquence, and rhetoric, and I know not what beside, the spirit of God would soon answer all our adversaries. But we take it upon ourselves to defend ourselves and take on our adversaries. And honestly, what it's like is the Holy Spirit is the most high-priced, the most successful attorney ever lived on the planet. And we, in making our own defense, are a public defender who really doesn't want to do their job. So if you really want to spend your time in a self-defensive posture, being basically a public, a, a public defender who doesn't really want the case, and you think that you'll do better making a defense of yourself than the Holy Spirit who got like OJ off, take your pick. But I think when we spend so much time defending ourselves from all these threats, we spend way less time advancing the kingdom and the mission of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit convicts me of my present sin. He reminds me of my secured righteousness in Christ and convinces me that the evil that seems master over me was judged and condemned and is now a defeated foe who lingers only for a little while. That's what our advocate reminds us of. He tells the truth about us. It's so easy for us to believe that we are still slaves to sin. That's a lie. And the Holy Spirit says, no, that's defeated and will linger for a little while, but you are not a, a slave to sin. You are now indebted and a slave to Christ. Not only are you indebted and a slave to Christ, you are his bride, And, 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 so, and so we see this. And, and, and so what maybe, I was trying to think, what does what is, what is the Spirit's work of, of being an advocate look like in action? You see, this truth-telling role of the Holy Spirit defends us against believing and behaving in ways that result from believing lies originating from the enemy, the world, and even from ourselves. It's interesting, when when we think about our memories or we're asked to remember something, it is much easier for the average person when asked, tell me the bad things you've done in your life than to tell me the good things you've done in your life. It is much easier for us to make a list of all the bad things we've done than all the good things. We, for some reason, and I think it's that that deal that my flesh made with the enemy, it is much easier for me to remember all of the bad things I've done. And no matter what that looks like, somehow they have more weight than the good things I've done. And so there's this thing that happens in our lives where we tend to one degree or another say, I did this and that condemns me. Or I did this and so I am I will never be as good as those people. Or I've done this, who am I to correct that person because I have done these things. And so I just need to stay out and not not walk with that person or help that person or 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 help that person see that they're in sin because look at I mean I've I've done this so I have no place to stand. And the Holy Spirit the advocate says To you in that moment, look, that has already been acknowledged. I have condemned this as sin in your life, but that sin was laid upon the great scapegoat's head and carried away. So when you say, I might be condemned or I might not be good enough because I've done these things, the Holy Spirit says, those are lies that you are believing or are being said. Those are accusations and they are not true because of what Jesus did. Here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sins. But here's the deal. In the tomb, Jesus raised from the dead, not our sins. Yet we live like Jesus raised from the dead with our sins, our sins are still in the grave, never to be resurrected. And so the Holy Spirit helps lead us in that truth. He advocates. Fear is a huge <laughs> hurdle and motivation for us. Sometimes when things are going poorly in our lives, we think, well, maybe God is mad at me or rejected me, or I've done something that, that he can't forgive. And so, and so I'm at a point where, where I am, I'm afraid that, that God is punishing me for these things. Or we have this fear because we're being threatened by someone or something and we just are overwhelmed by it. I don't know what to do, and I just I just I just I just want to quit. I just I don't want, I don't I don't know what to do with that. And and so when we are in those places of fear, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, Who can lay anything against the Lord's redeemed? No one. The Holy Spirit advocates for the truth that no one can lay anything or hold anything against those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Well, maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God is ignoring me. Maybe God loves me, but doesn't love me like he loves you. The Holy Spirit says, is God unrighteous to forget the work of Christ on the cross? Because that's what that is. If God is punishing one who has has been forgiven and redeemed, if he's punishing, then he's forgetting the work of Christ on the cross, and God is then unrighteous. He may be disciplining. You may be experiencing negative consequences because of your sin of what you've done and the natural order of things. But God disciplines those he loves. Sometimes it feels really heavy. But the Spirit says, God is not unrighteous. And what Christ did on the cross is enough You are his bride and he is pursuing you and he will be faithful to you even if you are unfaithful. God will not divorce his bride no matter what. And that's what the spirit advocates for. See, with great debating power, the advocate will plead and intercede in us and we will find freedom to be ready to behold the face of Jesus. And as he prepares us and purifies us, We are able to join Jesus in his mission of of engaging all peoples, of all nations, of all tribes and all tongues, even in our neighborhoods and across the globe, so that the, the bride of Christ can be the greatest group of people, the largest, most expansive group of people, those who would be willing to respond because they've heard so that that group of people can be presented to the bridegroom in splendor, in beauty, in purity, and be ready for his return. So weekly, or every week, we do communion. And uh, we didn't used to do it that way. I think part of that was It's kind of our tradition. And part of that was the argument that, well, when you do something all the time, it sometimes loses its special significance. It becomes common. And we don't want to do that with communion. But it's interesting because Jesus himself said very specifically when he was with his disciples, he said, when you gather, do this to remember me. So I don't know that that argument holds a lot of weight. I think it's our hearts and our minds that are the problem in that. But communion is so many things. Jesus, as he sat with his disciples, he said, you know, this is my body that's broken for you. You, it, It reminds you of the cost, the dowry that I paid for my bride, that I have paid with my life for you, and when he, when he takes the, the, the cup, he says, this is a cup of my covenant of our marriage, that we are legally bound. And regardless of what you do, I will not be unfaithful and I will not serve you a certificate of divorce because I don't divorce. But also I think communion is this Reminder of the feast that we are waiting for, that we are being prepared for, that we are being purified for. So I don't know if this is okay or not, but I'm gonna throw it out there. When we gather together and we do communion, I wonder if it's not kind of like date night with Jesus. I guess it's this moment that while Jesus is preparing a place for his bride and going to come and bring her to himself, that when we do communion, it's like date night where we are reminded that he we are the treasure of his life, that he lives to intercede for us. That he does not see us as his employees but he sees us as the object of his affection and he wants to behold us. And when we do communion, it's a reminder to us that Jesus is wooing us and he wants to have this intimate snack with us to remind us of what is to come. And in that moment, we remember how much he did and sacrificed for us. As we we take that bread and remember his broken body together. And that on that date, when we take the cup, we are reminded that he's made a covenant, a marriage vow that cannot be broken. And he showed us by telling Hosea to, to marry a prostitute who will be unfaithful their entire marriage. But he forbids Hosea to divorce her. Heavy weight for Hosea, Powerful illustration for us. So he says, Take this cup as a reminder of my covenant with you. There is a deceiver, the devil. working with our flesh, and his lies and accusations are constant and tailor-made for you. But Holy Spirit, you know us even better. Come remind us of who we are. Remind us of your heart toward us. Remind us of all that you've already done and how your faithfulness in the past reassures us Of your faithfulness in the future. Come Holy Spirit, be with us and speak to us. Speak personally to our hearts and tell us the things we need to hear. If the deception we face feels endless and is tailor-made to ensnare us, Remind us that your truth is eternal and tailored to fit by the one who knows me best and loves me most. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.